Oh, well, um, thank you so much for letting me share my heart with you today. Um, what I'm going to share with you is something that um, I really do feel, you know, I think each of us have kind of, of course, we have many insights because we have Christ in us, so we have many experiences with him as we grow, but I think my personal belief is that we also all kind of have like a life message, um, a revelation that is not just something that makes sense to us, but it's something that is so deep in our core because it's a huge part of the story that God is writing through us. Um, and that right there is maybe a really important foundational thing that I also want to say before I kind of dive in is that um, we are in his story. He doesn't find ourselves in ours. We find ourselves in his. Um, and, and that is, I'm probably going to say that several times today, um, because without that understanding that this is not something that we own, we don't own our stories. Um, we're like little uh, lighthouses, like tiny little um, mobile lighthouses throughout the earth where the God of the universe has chosen to reveal himself through us. And so, you know, when we talk about another thing I wanted to say kind of as a basic assumption of what I'm going to share is, um, you know, as we go throughout our lives and, you know, the Bible talks a lot about things being for the glory of God. And, you know, for me, I grew up in a church, and so I have heard that from, you know, as long as I can remember this idea of what's my purpose? My purpose is to bring glory to God. And I never really understood what that meant, and I always thought it was kind of like to make God look good, which in a way, that's like maybe this much true. It's a lot bigger than that, and it's a lot deeper than that. And really, what I've come to understand that concept as is our part in bringing glory to God. Glory is like, it's not the same as praise, first of all. Glory is the essence of what something is. Like the truest, most pure form of what something is, is its glory. And so the glory of God, that means like our lives, our purpose is to show his truest, most purest, the core of who he is. And because our God is so big and so complex, like there are millions and billions of us that he put, he spread across the earth. It says his glory will cover the earth like the waters, or his, yeah, like the waters cover the seas. Um, that's how big his glory is. So like the tiny part of his glory that I have the privilege to carry if I choose to, if I choose to say yes to be what I was made to be, is just this big, even smaller, really, right? And then there's the glory that he's reflecting through each one of you, and it's not the same. It's unique every time. And so that's something that um, I have had to come to understand that my story isn't about me. My story is about showcasing to other people who God is. Why? Because they lost him. They lost connection with him. So he's, it's like he's this father whose children all got scattered and kidnapped, right? When sin entered the world, it's like 
all of a sudden there was like this global amnesia that we were made in him and through him and for him. And like, it'd be like if all of our children today came out of kids ministry and didn't recognize us. And they thought that they were just existed here, they were their own person doing their own thing, living their own life. And like they had no idea that they came from us. And like that they're actually never gonna know themselves. You know, like it's so beautiful and we have a lot of passion in here. Um, in this uh, church, which I so, it, it blesses my heart. I carry this passion too and just hasn't been, you know, the time to move into this part of my calling, I know. But like the spirit of adoption, right? That's like so here. There's so many families that have fostered or have adopted or are in the process of considering that and moving into it, right? Like that's God's heart 100% all the way represented a huge part. Like, so his father heart, um, just imagine if like, you know, all of our children not only forgot us, but then like, you know, if they think that they can kind of know who they are without us, anyone who's worked or has adopted and welcomed a child into your home, you know that even if you get them when they're a baby, their identity is connected to that parent that they lost. That's a picture of our God. That's not about humans that, you know, like you guys know I'm a counselor, so I know a lot of research and, you know, there's a lot out there that we talk about aside from understanding God, which all knowledge points to God. So it's a futile thing, right? Like it's all him. Whether or not we call it him, it's all him. But that is just truth. We are never fully know who we are if we don't fully know who we came from. So that's what our lives are for. We're those lighthouses that the lost can see and they see just a little piece of their own father. How about it? That's why unity is so important because if people only see my part, they're gonna miss out on Steve's part and on Rebecca's part and like, it's like a big giant puzzle of God revealing himself to us. That's so beautiful and profound to me. All right, so. None of that's in my slides, but that is very important, and thank you, Holy Spirit, that you just continually reveal yourself to us. So cool. So I do want to start out with just a tiny snippet of my journey that has brought the revelations I want to share with you, and, and it starts with actually almost to the date, six years ago, I moved here. And I sat in the chairs that used to be over here before we rearranged the sanctuary, it was still like a row. And I still remember coming in for the first time. I had only, it was my second day in town. I actually looked back at a calendar. So we moved on a Saturday. It was my birthday. I turned 30 when I moved here. And we showed up here and my plan was very different than what has transpired since I came here. And I wanna show you a picture. I sent Megan a picture um, that I wanted to show you, oh, and I have this, this power to show you. Yes, I have the power. Okay, so this, this was my family. And you recognize like probably most of those people, hopefully, that's me. Um, and this was Easter, the year that we moved here. So just months before we moved here. That was my husband. Those are my beautiful kids. 
And this was my idol. This was everything for me. And I didn't know it, actually. I really didn't know it because what had happened throughout our journey as a a couple and me becoming a mom and all that was actually like, I had really moved from a time in my life of being lost to beginning to realize like, God is good and I really need him on board. So far I thought he was like, you know, finding himself in my stories, kind of how that was, right? Like, hey, you know, I have this thing going, but it's not going so well, and I think I need to invite God into it. So, I did, right? I started, like, I grew up in the church, like I said, and I'm not going to go into all the details of my testimony, maybe some other time, but what you need to know for this is that when, you, when this picture was taken, like, this family had already been through a lot. Like, we, my husband and I had been separated twice. We'd had three children. There had been rehabs and <laughs> very bad evenings and lots of pain. Um, sorry, did I mess it up? You still hear me? Okay. Um, but I was, like, determined and dead set that, like, this was going to end well. And God was going to restore my marriage. And so, like... I built relationship with him, with God, in this time, Um, and I started, and it was genuine, like I, I genuinely, I knew I needed the Lord, and that's good, and what I love about the Lord is like every part of our journey is just, it's it's part of our journey, right? Like he doesn't judge it and say, well back then, you didn't really love me that much, right? Like it's all precious to him, because I was moving toward. Um, but during this time, I was like doing everything that I could to keep this intact. I had started a women's or well, wives um, prayer group because I had this realization one day like, oh, I spent a lot of time in conflict with my husband, like, you know, trying to fight for my marriage by fighting with him about what's going on. And really, like, maybe I should be spending more time you know, talking to the Lord about it and less time fighting against. So, so I did that and that was really good. And that was like two years. We met every week and we were really, you know, we're going to focus on blessing our husbands. We're not going to complain during this time. This is going to be like, we're going to pray for goodness over our husbands, which ultimately really protected my heart from bitterness. So I recommend it if you're, anyway. So I was doing that and I was reading my Bible like I had never read my Bible before and that was really life-giving too and I was you know part of a church and like all these things but um, I, I think somewhere along the line I kind of had this assumption that like so if I do all these things that are right and like pleasing you know I'm praying I'm going to church I'm reading my Bible I'm like changing my whole life I'm loving my husband, I'm forgiving my husband for all these things, like true forgiveness, right? I'm willing to open my heart back up. I'm willing to set boundaries, you know, all that stuff. Like divorce was not in my vocabulary, okay? I just assumed like he's a God of reconciliation, so of course he will fix this. Like there's no question, I just have to keep holding on and God's gonna reconcile it. I want you to hear me say something, and I, you may not like it or agree with it, but I'm going to tell you, like, it was not God's will to restore this marriage. And maybe it will be later, and who knows, right? But it's actually, here's the thing, it's not about the marriage. 
It's not about the marriage, because remember, I'm in his story. Remember? So, like, what this taught me was, well, a lot of things, but, like, I was deeply offended when God did not fix my marriage. And I was even more offended. The reason I actually, I did choose to file for divorce was because I had an encounter with the Lord where like beyond the shadow of a doubt, like one of those moments where it's not like out loud audible, you could have heard it, but as audible as it gets inside the cavity of your chest, right? Like in my heart, the Holy Spirit said to me, it's time to let go of your marriage. Well done, it's done, like release it. And I was, I did not receive that well. Let's just say it that way. I spiraled into like an identity crisis of who is this God? He's supposed to be a God of reconciliation. How could he ever, ever, ever tell me to let go of my marriage? Like what kind of sick joke is this, right? So I was deeply offended at the time. But what I've come to know is like, God's definition of goodness is actually so much beyond what I even, like the goals and dreams that I have for my life here, which by the way is like, again, like this much of our life, because we just kind of take a nap when we die. Like, if we know Jesus, we live forever. This is a tiny, tiny part. So the things in my life here, it's not that they don't matter, they matter, and he, it says he, he collects our tears, like they matter. He cares, and he comforts, and, and he, it broke his heart to, to let my heart break here, and I know that now. But it was also, God has, he knows what I truly need. He knows what I truly need, and you know what I truly need, regardless of, the, again, the marriage isn't the point. That's just a, a mechanism in my story, but, what my heart truly needs is it needs to worship only God. You know why? Because I'm not right if I'm not in that position. Like, I'm not okay. You know what my heart needs? My heart needs to find my hope in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And during this time, God gave me a picture, and I'm gonna come back to this at the very end but it, he brought to mind Abraham at this pivotal time in my marriage. Well, no, the marriage was already over in this pivotal season after that of like, I don't know who this God is. I don't think I like him and I don't trust him anymore. And during that time, as my heart started to be softened, I had this picture of Abraham taking Isaac up to the altar and I realized like Isaac was everything to Abraham. Like everything, that was his heart. Just like my marriage was my heart. I mean, that was crushing. I did love my husband. I didn't leave hating my family. Like I wanted to stay in my marriage and to have God, just like God gave Abraham Isaac, like gave it to him and told him to raise him and then said, hey, bring him up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Like, oh, that my heart would be in a place that I, that I would be willing to receive a gift 
a beautiful gift that I love and then to hand it back to God and say, crush it if you want to because it's not my treasure. You are my treasure. I love this, but you are my treasure. And it's your story. I'm gonna come back to that. So, I just, I, this, this message is like an appeal. I, I appeal to your heart, to your understanding, and just ask you, like, we're gonna look at a lot of scriptures during this short time, because I, I don't want this to be a message where you feel like it's just my idea or something I think is, you know, my theology of pain and suffering, like, I don't need you to change your theology, but if you can just hear what I'm saying and hear what the word says, maybe we can just even widen our understanding of this God who is our Father who loves us and who is very good. I would submit to you that a lot of times our problem is not so much like that it's, it's not so much that God, well, no, let me rephrase that. It's never that God is not good, okay? That's never the problem, never. However, our understanding of what is good is really flawed. That's what I want to submit to you, is that what I think is good for me is my very limited view that does not align sometimes with what is actually good for me. And, you know, I, I think as a parent, right, like one of the easiest ways to explain part of that, that part of it is, you know, because I love my children, I don't give them everything that they ask for because I love them. Not because I want them to be sad, not because I want them to be crushed, it's because I love them a lot. And sometimes they don't know what is actually good for them. Steve, you brought up the, the um, passage about if your son asks you for a fish, would you give him a scorpion? And as I was preparing for this, actually, and this has been stirring for, like, a very long time, actually. So as I've thought about this for the last year, really, that verse has changed for me because I think it doesn't say in there, wouldn't you give him a fish? Maybe, maybe that's the implication. Like, if your son asks for a fish, give him a fish. I think it's, like, deeper than that. Like, if your son asks for a fish, you are going to give him a good gift, it says, right? Like, even you who are evil know how to give good things to your children. How much more our Father? And it is in reference to the Holy Spirit. And yet, I think there's something in there of, like, beyond what I know how to ask for, right? There's a verse about the Holy Spirit. Even when we don't know how to pray, he intercedes on our behalf. Like, you know... God is a very good father, and so I might ask for a fish, but maybe I, you know, a fish isn't the best thing for me. God's not going to give me a scorpion. He's not going to give something to hurt me, but he is going to give me something that's even better, like what I really need and what's really going to fill my desire. We have a real problem with knowing what we're hungry for. We really do. Our appetites are all screwed up, and we don't know. And, you know, so 
In God's sovereignty and his kindness to us, I would argue that sometimes he does not answer our prayers with yes because he has compassion on us. That's why. So there's a difference between an abusive parent and a good parent. An abusive parent also allows suffering, might even like do things that the child, well, with an abusive parent it's different, right? But so with, let's stay there for a second. So with an abusive parent, the goal is to ki- still steal, kill, and destroy. Like you can, that's it. Some abusive parents actually do kill their children. Like that is the goal, to crush you, to overpower you, to show you who's boss, and to watch you suffer. Like I want to torture you. That is not our God. Our God is not an abusive father. And some of, some of you, I think, need to hear that. Like, our God is not an abusive father. That is not his intent. His intentions are always good. And when he allows or, or even brings things that to us feel like suffering, it is not because he's wanting to hurt us. We may perceive it as suffering because it hurts in the process, right? When I tell my kids no to something they want to do, they might feel like I'm inflicting suffering on them because it goes against what they desire, they think, right? But I have a bigger picture. I'm supposed to as a mom. And so I'm supposed to have a bigger picture of like, well, I could give this, them, this thing today that could gratify them, but I want them to thrive and I want them to learn to be strong and I have all these things in mind that I know that like every decision I make as a parent is gonna impact how they grow. And we are not born spiritual adults. (laughs) Just like we're not born physical adults. You're not okay the way you are. You're not. I'm not either. We're growing. We're being perfected. So like our identity is secure and, and it's good that we know that like you know, God's love for us isn't based on, you know, where we're at in our journey of being perfected. That's point blank. He died while we were yet sinners. That is just true. We are made holy through him. Yes, that is true. And we are being perfected. And he's using our life circumstances to parent and raise us. And what is raising a child other than putting them in a position where they can be seen for who they truly are? the glory of who they were made to be, which ultimately is the glory of him because we reflect him, right? So there is a necessary process to unveil that, and it sometimes involves what feels like some really bad pain for us. If you are not an abusive parent, it hurts to watch your child go through those growth moments. Like, even when, my, this is so embarrassing, but even like getting my kids off like sippy cups was painful for me because they like are attached to it, you know? And I, you know, parented out of a lot of guilt because I felt like I destroyed their family and like, you know, I ruined their lives because I, you know, didn't fix our marriage. You know, it really wasn't in my control. But these are the things that I felt at the time. Like my kids are suffering because they don't have their dad around and you know, blah, blah, blah. And so like, I want them to have all the comfort they can have, which actually is like terrible place to parent from. Really is. 
it's like that's nice stephanie but like they're gonna grow up and have a lot of issues you know you gotta parent out of actual love that wasn't love by the way that and that was like self-centered because i don't want to suffer so i'm gonna just not put them through it and then they're gonna suffer later God doesn't do that. Do you know he loves way better than we do? He is the only perfect parent. And he is the only one who is actually able to like not just allow suffering. He enters it. How about it? If I had to climb into my children's hearts while they were suffering, I don't know if I could do it. Like, I can barely take away a sippy cup, much less like walk through these like terrible life lessons that I can't fix for them, right? And out of compassion, I shouldn't. That's what we call an enabling parent. And, and actually enabling parents like paralyze their children. They paralyze them, they, they destroy them. It, it comes out of a good place, it does, it, but it's actually a selfish place. That's a different message. But, so the point is, that when suffering is permitted by God, we can be 100% confident it is out of compassion. It is out of compassion. And I want to give you some examples of places in the Bible where we see this. But first I want to read you um, out of Ecclesiastes. And um, it, I, love, I love the Bible that I have. I have this worship Bible that I've had since I was like, I don't know, 11 or something. But I, you know, really, I grew up with too many Bibles in my house because I was so churched. So I had like seven Bibles. And now I finally realize this is the one for me. I really love it. So there's, what I like about it too, are there are these quotes here. And this one just, I think, is so relevant. It's uh, by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who just has some really good writing. But God's gifts put man's best dreams to shame. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's about our skewed understanding of what's even good, right? So in, in Ecclesiastes 5, this is verse 2, and it says, well, I'll read it verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Okay. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. And the reason that that, you know, jumped off the page to me is that part of what I want to say in this time is we need to be slower sometimes in our hastiness to assume what God is up to. And here's the good news. He's alive. So we can ask him. That's good news. That's like really, really good news. I'm so glad that he is not just a God in a book because this book doesn't say a lot of things that are for, well, it says a lot of things. I shouldn't say it that way. This book leaves a lot of specific situations out, right? So I have access and you have access to the God of the universe to ask him, hey, Lord, what do you say about this situation that I'm in? Yeah, Lord, is this thing that I'm going through, is this in a spiritual attack? Should I be opposing it? Or should I be opening myself to it and saying, Lord, what are you showing me in here? This is from your compassion. Your, your will right now isn't to remove it. Why? Help me to 
help me to perceive it. Help, Jesus, help me to perceive it and not miss it. Because see, the problem is if we view every hard situation as an opposition, then what we do is we resist it. And not all suffering is meant to be resisted. Case in point, Jesus Christ. Imagine if he resisted the cross. Oh man, I'm so glad he didn't. And we're gonna talk about that in a second, a little more, but so we need to be asking God rather than just assuming in every situation it's this. Well, lean into his chest. Get near. Get near. Suffering is always, whether, no matter what, if it's a spiritual attack, whether it is the um, pain that is resulting from our compassionate good father, from a situation that he knows a little better that there's more that we need from this than just this surface level of what we think we want, it's always an invitation to becoming more real, more restored, and more reconciled. Always, every time. Like, does this make you, maybe not, maybe I'm getting a little excited, but does this make you like want to welcome, okay, Jesus, bring it. You're gonna make me more real? Don't we want that? Isn't that the point of being alive in Christ? Like, people suffer and don't know this stuff. Like, suffering outside of Jesus is meaningless. It's in vain. It's totally in vain. There is nothing to glean from it if you are dead. But if you're alive in Christ, oh, beloved church, we cannot be afraid of suffering. We cannot be afraid. And guess what? We of all people, we know the truth. And if you forgot it, it's okay. Get back to it. Get back to it. Like, the truth is, number one, like, he's good. Number two, we are promised suffering in this time. Three, he's raising us. It's gonna hurt a little, right? But it's for what? Us to be perfected. It's for us to be more reconciled to the one who loves us and the one who our soul loves. That's the most, like, profound thing. You know, I thought when we were singing um, Set a Fire, I was thinking about No Place I'd Rather Be. And you know what? I'm going to be honest. I couldn't have sang that from an honest place back when I was going through what I was going through. That first Sunday when I moved here, and I was like aching. I didn't want to be in the presence of God. I wanted to be in the presence of my, of a healed husband. I wanted to be held by him. I don't want to be here. Like, I had it all backwards. And like, now in this moment, I can say like, I would rather be in his presence than really right now, I mean, anywhere else. I can sing that from the heart because I've lost a lot. Like, I don't really, you know, like there, what is there, you know? Like it's him. And you know what's great? My soul longs for him. So it's not just this like, he wants me, and so I gotta begrudgingly go there. Okay, Jesus, I guess you took everything from me, so I have no choice but to spend time with you. You know, I'll be alone for the rest of my life. I'll just sit in your presence, I guess. No, it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I didn't even know how much I could possibly ever love you. I never knew. I really, I could care less, like, what you give me. Like, sometimes I wanna give it all away. Anyway, it, it's just what happens, it's not me. That's what happens when we fall in love with him. It actually happens when we fall in love with anybody. 
right? You fall in love with somebody, you're just like, I don't care what else happens in my life. You know, I will follow them to the ends of the earth and I will, you know, as long as I can be with them, I'm fine. That's, that's Jesus, that's our Jesus. Don't you know? Don't you know? Man, it's so good. So, um, where was I going with this? Oh, just so much to say. Um, well, we'll just go to the next slide. How about that? This is the benefit of having a slideshow. You know, you forget where you're going, you just go where you're going. So, this is very small print, I know. But I um, wanted to stick this in here because, again, we are not undoing or negating the goodness and the benefits of God. I'm just suggesting you might not have a clear view of what those benefits are. You might not even know how deep his benefits are. So praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. That doesn't leave room for idolizing anything else, by the way. All my inmost being. I gotta stop worshiping other things so I can see his worth. A man in the Bible that sold his whole field to possess the treasure, a man who took his son to be sacrificed on a mountain if God said go, like, that's what it is. My inmost being, all of me, everything, Praise the Lord. Praise him and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Not just your physical ones, by the way. That's like actually really easy for him because once we're out of here, like we're healed. And remember, this is like a tiny part of our life. And I'm not, I am not minimizing it. God does heal now too. He does, absolutely does. So that's, that's a truth. And like there are other ways to be healed that are like so precious. And because we know we're healed all the way in him, we can endure anything. You know, there are believers overseas right now in some countries that like are being tortured. Like probably as we speak, people that get crucified and beheaded and like awful things. Why can they go through that? Because they have an understanding that he's worth it. They're healed, all, they're healed in a place in their heart where nothing else can get in there. So it's not really about the suffering. Like it is, it hurts them, they feel it, but it's just that's not enough, right? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires, which he knows better than we know because we have an appetite problem. We just assume the wrong thing that we're hungry for, but he knows the real desires. So he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate. This is fact and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He never uses suffering to discipline because he's angry at you. That's not how it is, you know? It's not, he doesn't snap and then say, forget it, right? His compassion fuels anything that he allows. He will not always accuse, normally harbors anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. You just have to get this in to understand any of the other stuff, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion to those who fear him. He loves us more than we can imagine. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. He's gentle. 
So if we don't understand that we're in his story rather than viewing him as being in ours, we will become offended and we will get disillusioned when he doesn't act according to our plans. So if you're feeling offended and disillusioned right now, ask him to search your heart. What story are you in? Here's the thing. The Bible, and these are, I had like five other verses, but I pared it down. The reason I share that is because the Bible is full of like reminders that we don't have a full understanding. We need to trust in the Lord. You've probably heard this verse, but like, think, read it again to yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Well, why can't we lean on our own understanding? Because our understanding is flawed. It crumbles. Go ahead and lean on it. It won't hold up. Because as soon as something beyond your understanding comes, which most of life feels that way, and actually most of it is that way, because since we're in his story, like, what happens to me impacts people I don't even know it impacts. That's the realization we gotta get. Why don't we know the reason for things? Because the reason might have nothing to do with you. Like, God also loves my husband, by the way, my ex-husband. He loves him. So, like, maybe, you know, if I step out of my, like, self-centered, oh my gosh, you took my, you know, this thing, you took my things, God, you took something I wanted away from me, what if God loves him enough to take him out of a marriage with me because he wants to grow my husband in ways that maybe I'm getting in the way of? Could it be? Could it be that God's compassion is great for him and that it has nothing to do with me? Could it be that it has to do with his family? Could it be that it has to do with a stranger? I mean, we don't know, guys. It, we don't live in a vacuum. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. Those is not singular. It's all of us. And, and of course, you know, something that I know is not a new thing to say is like, and also once we are comforted, we comfort others, right? So God has made me through the pain of losing a marriage really equipped to minister to people in marriage, I actually value and see marriage as more of a treasure than I did before. I'm passionate to see people contend for their marriage. And I can also walk with somebody when that's not what's gonna happen. I can walk with somebody when God asks them to put something on the altar that's precious to them, even their marriage. I can do that. I can do that. So, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His view is higher. His view is higher. There's a, there's a story, um, it's short. There's a story about a farmer, and... Um, some of you that I have walked with, you've probably heard me tell this story. It's, it's actually um, like a story that I think it, it originates from 
like an East, like, you know, Taoism or something. It, but it's not the point. The point is, this is, this is a good illustration of what the Bible is telling us here. There's a farmer, right? And he has two things to his name. He has a son and he has a horse. And he has a farm. He has this like small farm. And the son and the horse work the farm. He's too old. He can't do it himself, okay? So one day, the horse runs away. He gets out, he gets loose, and he runs off. And the townspeople come and they're like, oh no, this is terrible. This is terrible. Your horse is gone. What are you going to do? How are you going to, how will your son, you know, work the farm? And how will you, you know, how will you make your money? Like, you could starve. This is so awful. And the farmer's like, well, I don't know if it's awful. Like, it could be awful. So then the story goes that, you know, a week or two goes by, and actually the horse returns, and, and following him are like a bunch of wild horses. And they run into the pen, and now he has like an abundance of horses. And the townspeople come, you know, and the peanut gallery, we all have it, and they're like, yay, this is so great! Like, you have all these horses now, now you will, you know, you'll prosper. Like, you thought your horse going away was bad, but look, like, this is so awesome. You know, you've been blessed. And he's like, well, I don't know if it's awesome. It could be awesome. It could be bad. I don't know. So then, as the story would go, the son is breaking in the horses, and one of the horses knocks him off. And the son falls, and he, ba- he breaks his back. And it's really bad and he might never walk again. And so though the townspeople come back and they say, oh no, this is so terrible. Your son, he's paralyzed. What are you gonna do? This is awful. And of course, what does our farmer say? There's a rhythm here. He says, well, I don't know if it's awful. It could be awful. And so then the end of the story is that, you know, a few days later an army comes through and all of the young men in this town, in this village, are gonna be asked to fight in a frontline battle where it's like guaranteed, they're all gonna die. And because the son is injured, he doesn't have to fight in the battle. We can't see around the corner. We can't see around the corner. We know the one that can. We have relationship. Aren't you glad we have relationship with the one who does see around the corner? And so, again, he sees around the corner and and we need to lean in and ask him, right? God, instead of saying, oh, this is terrible, we better pray that this gets fixed, or oh, this is wonderful, we better celebrate this, like, wait a minute, slow down, right? Slow down, we know God is good, that's true. Slow down, God, what are you doing here? I think it's interesting when God taught his disciples to pray that said, that part about may your will be done because then we find Jesus later um, I'm going to skip these next couple things Uh, oh yeah that's good Um, we find Jesus later uh, praying that prayer right before his death like dripping blood because he's so distressed praying Lord your will be done here if there's any way that I don't have to go through this suffering, please take it. Please do it another way. He did have to do it. He was born to do it. It was ordained for him to do it. 
And I, I think, you know, this is where in these moments, you know, prophecy, the word of God about a situation is not always positive in our standards. The Bible is actually full. Genesis 3, we have the first prophetic word, and it's from the Lord, and he says to his people, you're going to be cursed. Like, you're, you're going to have to leave the garden, and you're going to struggle, and you're going to have pain in childbirth, and, right? Because remember, it's always out of compassion to bring us closer to being reconciled, restored, and more real. So there's always the and, I will send a savior, right? I will crush the enemy then. But it probably didn't sound very positive to them that like they're gonna be cursed. God, God's will is always for the good of those who love him, but it doesn't always sound positive. And so we just need to know that like, are we leaning in? It's a, Lord, check my spirit, right? Am I leaning in when I'm offering somebody, like, a word? Who said? Just make sure who said. Sometimes it is. That's going to be taken care of. It's, God says you're going to be fine. Sometimes that's not the answer. In in. The New Testament, Paul has something like that, right? He has a thorn in the flesh. He says, I asked God, and God said, I'll give you grace for it. I'll give you grace for it. You're gonna be okay. I'll give you grace for it. But he didn't say, yeah, I'm gonna remove it tomorrow. He didn't. So, you know, Job is another example of this. Job, um, this guy, or he has another, he's not a direct example of that. He has another really... Value. Oh, I'm hitting the wrong button. I'm hitting the on and off button. That's okay. Um, Job, Job is a man that we look at a lot in, like when we talk about suffering, right? Because he is like a picture of suffering. He lost everything that he had in a very short amount of time. And he had a lot. He was rich. Like he had family. He had land. He had everything. And it got taken away from him. And... In this case, like, really it was the enemy, right? Like, the enemy came and said, I want to come mess with this guy. And at the same time, what did God say? Like, he says, have you considered my servant Job? Like, in other words, I'm about to show you my glory through this. I'm about to show you my faithfulness through this man who's going to be able to get through this suffering, Job shows a really amazing part of God. He does. The glory of Job's story is actually, like, really beautiful. So we get to chapter 28. They go back and forth. You know, he's sitting with the, the pot shards and scratching himself, and he's in the dust, and his friends come down and sit with him. It says that he looked so unrecognizable from what he was going through that they sat for, what, like seven days or something before they even uttered a word. That's how bad he looked. Like, have you ever seen a friend when they're really in grief, and you're like, whoa. What happened to you? Like, you look not even like yourself right now. That's how bad it was, and they sat with him. And then, of course, they go through this long discourse, and they're kind of arguing, like, basically, God's punishing you, which, remember, that's not what we're saying about suffering. We're not saying that. So, no, God wasn't inflicting things to, like, punish him for something. 
But we get to Job 28, and he says this really profound thing. He says, and Job is talking. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing. Concealed even from the birds in the sky, destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. Right? Which is like true. There's like this in death and destruction, there is this deep, if you've known people that have walked through this thing, they have this wisdom, right? But even death and destruction, like only a rumor, because only God really knows. God understands the way to it, for he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. He sees around the corner. And then 10 chapters later in, um, whoops, yeah. Oh yes, well, I will say this. When God finally speaks to Job and his friends, rather than indulging their obsession with the why, which is what they spend all these chapters trying to figure out, like, is it because you were bad? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? He points out their small-mindedness. That's what he does. And it's, it's not even, you know, he could have just blotted them out. Like, they said a lot of stuff, and it says God was angry at his friends. And actually, at the end, Job is told to pray for his friends so God will forgive them. Um... And he does. He does forgive them. And he restores Job. I mean, it's, it reveals a lot about the character of God. But he points out their small-mindedness and legitimizes his authority in what he says. That's pretty much the chapters of God speaking. It's pretty much him. He says, I'm going to question you like a man. So brace yourself. And then he goes off onto this thing. Where were you when, you know, the lightning was formed and all this stuff, you know. And he legitimizes, like, he is the only authority He's the only authority, he's the only one that is qualified to say how things sh should be. And to, you know, he can do as he wills. And the, then the Lord spoke to Job, this is chapter 38. He spoke to him out of a storm and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, I will question you, you will answer me. And then he goes into, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who marked off its dimensions? You know, tell me if you understand. Surely you know. And obviously, Job is very humbled. And, um, you know, he, when we, we cannot have a revelation of the extent of the greatness and power of God without simultaneously then having a revelation of how small and insufficient our own understanding is. It changes everything. When you know his glory, it changes everything. Um, so another example uh, of this, and, and again, like a, a per, uh, you know, Lord, check our spirits. Help us to, help us to make sure that, or, or no, help us to be willing to submit to your authority and to wait on you for answers, right? When we offer encouragement, it's not wrong, but we just want to be careful because when we just offer something without taking the time to lean into the Lord, to try to understand together what is he up to here, we can actually speak against what he's doing, number one, and also set people up for disillusionment because we're saying God said he's gonna fix that situation and maybe he did and he does. But if he didn't say it and you say that he did, 
that's a problem. That's a problem. And we cannot do that. We cannot do that. Jeremiah, this is the time. So Jeremiah had a tough job. God told him from the beginning, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to like what you have to say, but you got to say it anyway. And what he wanted him to say was he wanted to tell the people that they were going to go into captivity. They were going to go into 70 years of captivity. And it is not a pretty picture that God gives. Like, it is rough. Like, they're going to make your young men eunuchs. You know, they're going to destroy your everything. Everything. It's going to be awful. It's basically what the gist of the prophecy is. Like, it's going to be really bad. And I encourage you, if you, even if you've read Jeremiah, go back and read it after today because I, it almost brought me to tears. Like, just the Lord was revealing to me his father heart in the midst of these prophecies. Like, there are moments in it, like he'll, he'll talk about, you know, all these awful things are going to happen. And then he talks about, like, his tears. Like, just that he could weep rivers for them. Like, they are his children and how brokenhearted, like, he gave them all these chances to come back to him. And why do they need to come back to him? Because that's where they're found. He loves them. If any of you have ever had a family member that you're watching self-destruct, you know his father heart in this book. That's his heart. That was, that was my heart in my marriage. Like, man, I'll set these boundaries. My husband will hate me, but I, it's more worth him being found. Like, I want him to be well. He's forgotten who he is. You know, that's this, that's this. It is not about God just throwing wrath on them and wanting to watch them suffer. You read it. It's, it's like heart-wrenching. So he says here, the problem was a lot of false prophets were coming up and they were saying, no, 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 no. We're not going to be gone for 70 years, first of all. It's not going to be that bad. The Lord isn't saying that. And they were coming and they were confusing the people. And Jeremiah brings it to the attention of the Lord. And he says, Lord, the people are very confused because there are these other prophets saying that, basically, to paraphrase, like, all shall be well. And the Lord says, I didn't send them. And they didn't consult me. It says, the Lord said to me, um, uh, we'll jump ahead. Do not listen to what, so chapter 11 that I have up is about the Lord talking about how the covenant is broken and he has longed to bring Israel back. And he actually tells them, don't pray for these people. Because like, this is happening. Don't pray for that. In other words, don't oppose, this is my will right now for their good for their good. Let's remember that, for their good. For, because I love them, this is what I'm doing. Don't pray about it. And I think from a parent perspective, it's like, this is killing me. Please don't bring it up to me. Like, don't, don't cry to me about it because it hurts so much and I know I have to do it. Like, that may not be what he was thinking, but to me, as I was reading this, I was just imagining myself as a parent or as a spouse, you know, and it, it's like, yeah, like don't even bring this to my attention anymore about how much it hurts because I'm, I'm dying. This is horrible. But it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says in chapter 23. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hope. They speak visions from their own minds and not from the mouth of the Lord. Man, we don't, Lord, help us, help that never to happen amongst the church today. You know, they keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or heard his word? Who has listened and heard his word? Who said? Because it wasn't him. Who said? 
And see, now these people are going to go into captivity, and they are going to go for 70 years. And God tried to tell them he's truthful. He doesn't lie. He is so faithful and true. But there's going to be some people who are even going to be disillusioned now because, well, God said through that person we were going to be fine. That's a stumbling block for people that we love, right? See the storm, the Lord will burst out in wrath. A whirlwind swirling down. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purpose of his heart, which is for their goodness. In days to come, he says, you'll understand it clearly, right? And then you fast forward, you know, the famous verse from Jeremiah is Jeremiah 29, 11 about, for I know the plans I have for you. And that's always the note it ends on, right? Like, this is gonna happen because it has to, to bring you back to me. But then, it won't, it's, all is not lost. Like, my, his plans are perfect. And so through that, there will be those that will return and he will embrace them. He actually tells them, just settle down while you're there. He says, build houses there. You know, pray that they prosper in Babylon because if they prosper, you prosper, right? He's even giving them instructions of like how to get through the punishment or the, I don't know, punishment, I don't know. Yeah, you know, how to get through this, this suffering, this challenge. He's even telling them how to do it. These people that have betrayed him, forgotten him. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you and it's not to harm you. It's to see you prosper. Peter and Jesus, you know? I already brought up that Jesus is a great example of like, it was the will of God that he would be born and that he would die a terrible death on the cross because it was purposeful. Talk about a purpose of suffering that was for reconciliation, for restoration. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And he said yes to it, though he suffered and he prayed. From that time on, Jesus began explaining to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside because he loved him, right? And he said to him, never, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And when, when you hear your friend talking about like, something terrible is going to happen. I, you know, I have confirmation in my spirit. Like, this is about to really hurt me. Of course we want to say, no, it's not. That's not who God is. God would never ask you to do that. And I kind of picture Peter feeling that way. Like, no, no, Lord. Like, that, no, that would never, you're such a good guy. You're the teacher. You're the one. Like, no, of course you don't. No, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. That's like, that's not a gentle, like, that's like a very firm, no, you're wrong. Like, you are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God. See, Peter forgot what story he was in. Jesus never forgets what story he's in while he's on the earth, not once. He remembers the whole time. And so even in his suffering, he was, says he was, you know, there was joy in going to the cross because he knew what story he was in, and it's a good story. So he knew that he was going to suffer. And, uh, oh, sorry, that's important. And then Jesus says later, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
This is, you know, what he just said to Peter was, you don't, you don't know, you know, you don't have in your mind the things of, of God. Here it is. This is the mind of God. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it for me to have a happy marriage here on earth yet forfeit my soul? Right? What good is it for me to have a good job and forfeit my soul? What good is it? You can insert anything in there. What good is it? And yet forfeit my soul. That God's out for my heart. He's out for my soul. He's out for your heart and your soul. And it's secure. That's so good. Right? And he will, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus says some hard things to Peter later, too. And this was actually a really special um, part of scripture to me uh, during this journey because there's right, so this part, the Jesus, I mean, Peter has denied Jesus three times just like Jesus said he would. Jesus has returned and he, he pulls Peter aside and you know, he asks him, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you you love me, right? And each time he tells him, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, right? And then Jesus says, um, uh, yeah, so he goes through that. And then it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him that the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep for the last time. And then he says, very truly, I tell you, like this is going to happen, right? Very truly, I tell you. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. That's not like a, it's not a happy word, but it's a beautiful one. It's a beautiful invitation. Because if you know what story you're in, it's all about bringing glory to God. It's all about being his little lighthouse wherever you are so that his lost children can come home. He came to save the lost. The word lost implies they once belonged. They're not like free agents deciding if they want to join the army. They're like his. We're all his. We were first his. So if we know we're part of that story like Peter did, then there's no question, yes, I will follow you. Do I want to be martyred? No. Because I'm human. It's really hard not to want to save my life, right? But I certainly don't want to lose it. I want to be with him. If you're not, the worship team can come up. If they would, they're going to play a song while we close. If this message um, stirred your heart, if it felt offensive even in some way, take it before the Lord. He's alive. And he always wants to talk to us. He can clarify things way better. He can correct any messes that I or anyone else makes when we're trying to teach, right? But 
Go to him about it. Wrestle with it. It's important. This matters. It shapes everything. The way we view suffering shapes how we understand the gospel. It shapes how we understand the purpose. All of it. All of it it matters. This part matters. So, the worship team's going to play a song, and it, it's a song that um, is out of Job, actually. It, well, some of it is, and it's called Though You Slay Me. You can kind of, oh, when you're ready, instrument, you can begin. Um, but it says, Though you slay me, yet I will worship. God is our treasure. And if you have been, it is something that we have to constantly relearn. I have to constantly relearn it. And God is, God loves me enough to keep letting me relearn it. If you, if this was an adjustment for you, if you feel like the Lord is wanting to free you of maybe grasping onto your life with a death group, grasping onto that thing, that you want him to do for you. And you feel him quietly saying to your heart, bring it to the altar. Bring it up the mountainside. Bring that precious thing that you haven't even been able to see anything else. It's all your prayers and all your tears have been consumed because it's that important to you. But I believe that especially for some of us, he wants... He wants to invite you to that place, that face-to-face place on Mount Moriah, to lay it down and say, do with it what you will, Lord. If your plan is to restore it, do it. If your plan is to crush it, crush it. I'm in your story, and you are my treasure.
Lord, if you build me, if you increase me, if you bless me, if you pull me apart, you let me be pulled apart and crushed, you are it. Your compassion, your graciousness, who you are, that's what I will worship. Thank you, Jesus. We just bless you. We love you so much.